0: Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, find it and find Exodus chapter 29. Exodus chapter 29. We're going to work through this passage in a little bit of a different way this morning, but I'd encourage you to go home, feel free to pull it up on your Bible app, read it, get it on audio, whatever you'd like to do. But we're going to look at it in a little bit of a different way, and I want to set it up. This way, As we've been talking about the priests that serve in the tabernacle, it's important that we realize that priesthood is everywhere. As foreign as these instructions about the priesthood seem on their surface, our culture today has its own form of tabernacle worship. Our culture now today has certain expectations of what you should wear, rituals you should go through, sacrifices you should make. Our culture today has its own holy days and holy experiences. Every culture has its own liturgies and creeds. They would want you to recite in order to be accepted by the community around us. Our culture has its own form of sacred spaces and its own forms of worship. Priesthood is everywhere because priesthood and worship is ingrained in us from creation. In fact, God created all of mankind to be priests. As we've been studying in the tabernacle, recall the tabernacle had three sort of areas to it, right? The portable tents, that God was sending the people through in the desert was meant to resemble the Garden of Eden. And just like the Garden of Eden, it had sort of three layers to it. There was the most holy place, then outside of that, the holy place, then outside of that, the outer tent. And it's funny, Genesis actually describes the garden that way. Look at Genesis chapter two and verse eight. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Notice the garden is within a place called Eden, which is within a place called the east, right? It has three layers to it as well, and it's also interesting that the tabernacle was entered in from the east just as the garden was to be entered in from the east. It was meant to call their minds back to the creation of the world, to what the world was meant to be. To enter into the tabernacle and to serve in it was to enter back into Eden and to worship in God's perfect presence. And Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, which is the most holy place. And here's what we're told in Genesis 2.15. He put them there to work it and keep it. They were placed there to work it and keep it. Now, both of these words have a variety of meanings in the original language, but when put together, it's a reference to what the priest did in the temple. Let me show you this. Numbers chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. They shall guard, there's keep, over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister, work, at the tabernacle. They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. Just as the priests worked and kept the tabernacle, so Adam and Eve were placed in the garden to protect and multiply God's presence in his sacred space. Every single one of us was created to serve as priests in the presence of God. That's why God created you. That's why God created me. That's why God created all of humanity. That's part of the reason humanity is sacred and separate from everything else God created. We are the priests that God made here in this world. And Genesis uh, Exodus chapter 29 wants to teach us more about what it means to live as priests. In fact, here's your main idea coming out of this morning. Here's your main idea. We have been devoted to God. We have been devoted to God. We've been set apart. We are His. Every single person on the face of the earth has been created by God and is meant to be devoted to Him. And yet, none of us live as we were made to live. Oftentimes, we don't live, none of us live as priests devoted to God. Rather, we live in service to the creation around us to the culture among us, and to the desires within us. We were made to be devoted to God, but we so often live as if we are God, and that's what makes sin so serious. And God's whole plan in loving us, redeeming us, and sending Jesus for us is that we might be restored back. And be devoted anew to God as priests. You, as a believer in Jesus, exist on purpose and for a purpose. And that's what I hope we see together in Exodus 29 this morning. Let's look at what the very first verse of Exodus 29 says about the priests. He says this. Now this is what you shall do to consecrate them that they may serve me as priests consecrate. There's a word we don't use every day. That'd be a great scrabble word to drop in, right? That simply means we're set apart, ordained, devoted for a holy purpose. In this case, God has set his priests aside for a specific task. They were to serve as mediators in his presence. They were to offer sacrifices and prayers on behalf of the people. Their existence was fully devoted to God, 24-7, the priests had God in mind and were meant to live in light of that. And I hope to show us that like the priest, God has devoted you to serve him in the same way. We'll see three realities about what it means to be devoted, consecrated, set apart for God in our passage this morning. Let's look first at how the priests were consecrated. We see the first point, that they were devoted by sacrifice. God set them apart through offering sacrifices in order to set them apart for this work. Most of Exodus 29 is filled with instructions regarding the sacrifices that the priests were to offer in order to be ordained for this work. For In order for the priest to go in and to be a part of this, they had to grab Three animals that were to come with them, one bull and two rams without, without blemish. They had to make some bread, and they had to take a bath. That's a lot to do to get yourself set up for this role. And the three passages deal with the three sacrifices before us. You can read these in detail later, but let me give you a summary, a big picture. In verse 10 to 14, it talks about the bull. Aaron, his sons, and all the priests with them laid their hands on the head of the bull. They put it on the bronze altar, and they slaughtered it there in front of everyone. Imagine that as a first day on the job, right? And, by, and they're right by the entrance of the tabernacle. They would cut off the fat and burn the insides of the animal on the altar. Then in verse 15 to 18, we read about the ram. They do a similar exercise, except this time they would burn the whole animal on the altar so it smelt like a barbecue. And we're told that this is called a burnt offering, and it says that God was pleased with the smell of their barbecue. Amen. And we read of the other ram in verse 19 to 28. And in verse 31 to 34, it was sacrificed by the priest. It was eaten before God in the tent alongside the bread that they baked. This was called the ram of ordination. So what does all this mean? What, I'm, not, I'm glad we don't have to sacrifice those things to enter into here every Sunday morning, right? While I love a good barbecue, this sounds like a lot of work, Right? Here's what it means for us. First, it's a reminder to us that even the priests were not perfect. They needed sacrifice for their sins just as everyone else did. This is a reminder that in the kingdom of God, there is not a two tier system, everyone is a sinner. Even those who might serve in the most holy place, even those who may appear the closest to God, they need sacrifice to forgive their sins just as you do. All ground is level at the foot of the cross. And it's also a reminder that no matter how far you've fallen, God is able to forgive, to redeem, and to devote you for his purposes. Let me tell you something. God has never once used a perfect person, minus one, minus Jesus. But outside of Jesus, friends, God has never once used a perfect person. You know why? They don't exist. That's exactly right. God only ever uses sinful people. And that means God can and will use you for his purpose. But it's also a reminder to see the way God set them aside was through offering a sacrifice on their behalf. God showed the immense value of their calling through the giving of these animals. These were very expensive things to give And friends, God didn't simply call these men to priesthood through sacrifice, but in an even greater way, God has called all of us to ministry through giving an even greater sacrifice. God sent Jesus so that you and I might be set apart for ministry, Did you ever think about this? Jesus didn't just die to save you from something, but in order to save you for something. The death of Jesus is not simply a get-out-of-hell-free card. No, it's a call to get to work. You are now freed and forgiven to serve God. Jesus didn't just die that our sins might be forgiven. He certainly did do that, but he did far more He died that we might be set apart as worshipers and service and priests in his kingdom. This is a reminder, friends, there is no Jesus as Savior without also knowing him as Lord over your life and your worship. For those who receive Jesus by faith, you have also received the responsibility to serve him as a priest. He's called you. He set you aside. John, the apostle John, saw a vision of worshipers in heaven gathered around the Lamb worshiping, and look what they sang. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priest to our God that they shall reign on the earth. Do you see it? Jesus died on that rugged cross that we might be made into a kingdom and a priesthood to serve him and reign with him. Jesus takes ministry so serious, he bled for it to set you aside in order to do it. He has given the gift of service to all of us. This means that if you're a follower of Jesus, God has given you a unique ministry to do for him. He has gifted you to serve him in the way that only you can serve him. Jesus' death is meant to change everything. Everything about how we view our life. Think about this as you go to school, as you work your job, as you spend time with your family, you go through it as a priest devoted to the one true God. You want significance? That's eternal significance. Everything you do is now sacred. In fact, as priests, there really is no longer any secular and sacred. All of God's holy, all of the holy work that God's holy people do is done for God. One of the big mistakes we make is to think that only pastors and missionaries can do work that pleases God in their day-to-day life. In fact, we need to get out of our mind, one of the worst things we can ever do is we meet somebody who loves God and is serious about the Bible. What's the first thing we tell them to do? you should go be a pastor. It's like, well, I also think the Bible says everybody should love God and love the Bible. And that full-time vocational ministry may not be the best thing. You can serve Jesus in the marketplace, in your home, on your campuses, wherever you go. And you can often be more effective than me because the moment they find out what I do, they're either really excited to meet me or really not. And, friends, you can, full time vocational ministry is a really good thing, but, friends, God has ministry for you to do wherever He has planted you. Did you know, college students, as some of you are figuring out your future, or maybe you're getting close to that? Did you know that God has called you to ministry regardless of what your major might be? Social work, business, education. All of it can be done in a way that pleases God and brings glory to Him and accomplishes His purposes in the world. Stay-at-home moms, bless you. You're doing an incredible priestly work in your home with those kids, raising up future priests who will pour their lives out for the kingdom of God. Teachers, faculty, those who work in the school, friends, God has made you a priest in your classroom and in your workplace to represent him to your students and to other faculty, to everyone you come in contact with. You can't take the priesthood off because God has put it on you if you're a follower of Jesus. God has transformed your whole identity to that of priest. So that everything you do in accordance to his word can please and glorify him. The priests in Exodus 29 were devoted, consecrated as holy servants through sacrifice. And this is so important for us because, friends, we have been devoted to God through the death of Jesus. Through the gospel, God has turned us from sinners into saints. And he's made us servants, kings and priests unto our God to serve him wherever we go. And that brings significance, renewed significance to everything you do. The priests were set apart. But let's look at one of the purposes that he devoted the priests to. What what does he want them to do? They've been devoted by sacrifice. Second, they've been devoted for sanctification. There's a big word I'll give you a second on that, sanctification, there's a churchy word, right? That just means holiness, particularly the process of growing in Christ's likeness, in godliness, in purity, that's what God has devoted you for, that you might live for him and reflect him in everything you do according to his word. Let me show you this in what the priests did in their day-to-day work. We saw last week their outfit, right? I posted a picture uh, on our Facebook group if you wanted to kind of see what their outfit looked like. And if you didn't see it, I'll text it to you. Catch me after. I'll send you kind of what their whole getup from last week was. But everything they wore reflected God's character and his holiness. They walked around barefoot, remember? Because they walked on holy ground and they did holy work. Remember, on the end of their robes, they had bells that were meant to ring, not only to remind them that they were going into the presence of God, but also to let us know when they were working in his infinitely holy presence. It was there in case they died. We could go, well, we know what happened. They had across their forehead the words, holy to the Lord. From head to toe, the priests were reminded of God's holiness And that prompted them to live holy lives. And as you read through Exodus 29, you see that the priests wore holy garments, they served in the holy place, and they couldn't enter without holy sacrifices. This is meant to teach us as much about God as it is about them, that God is holy, holy, holy. But it's also important that we see what they did with the sacrifice of the third animal. Look at this, this is... Chapter 29, verse 19. You shall take the other ram, this is the third ram, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and he shall kill the ram and take part of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tips of the right ears of his son and on the thumb of their right hands and on the great toe of their right feet and throw the rest of the blood against the side of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that's on the altar and of the anointing oil sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and his sons' garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy and his sons and his sons' garments with him. So they take the blood and they put it on the tip of their ear, the tip of their thumbs, and the tip of their toes. And if that wasn't enough blood... They take it and they sprinkle it all over them. Friends, think about the significance of this. Literally, from head to toe, they are being washed and purified in the blood. From what they heard to what they did with their hands to where they went with their feet All of it was meant to be holy. God is literally saying all of your life is meant to be mine and meant to honor and glorify me. The priests didn't have a Sabbath version of themselves that they could sort of stroll out when they're doing the priesthood job. No, friends, they didn't have a a Sunday version of themselves and a rest-of-the-week version of themselves. There wasn't a sacred portion of their life and then a secular portion of their life. All of their life was meant to be for God. And if you go, man, I'm so glad that's not me, I've got some bad news for you. Because that's what God intends for you and for me. And for all of us, because what the blood touches becomes set apart for God. And the blood of Jesus has been shed to wash you clean from sin that you and all of your life might belong to God. Everything the blood touches belonged to God. Therefore, friends, God was the one who owned their ears. And God's the one that owns your ears. So what do we listen to? What are we letting to come and, be, and get an influence in our minds? What's shaping your thinking? I don't think this, this is a reason to go only listen to k Radio. Because, friends, let me tell you, there's some things on there that really maybe, are the most helpful thing to fill your mind with sometimes. Not the deepest theology in some of those songs, but it's also not an encouragement to simply try to remove yourselves from the world, because that's impossible. You will never be able to fully get away from things you shouldn't hear. The guidance, though, is to be making sure we're listening with the aid and with the truth of God's word, to realize we don't shuck this at the door when we get home. We don't throw this at the door when we go to work. God's word and God's truth is meant to aid us in everything we listen to, to find the good, the true, and the beautiful, and to celebrate it. Rather than letting the voice of the world tell us what's true and good and beautiful, when really, friends, it is false, bad, and ugly. What voices are you letting speak into your life? And also, are they speaking true things in true ways? You can say a lot of right things and say it in the wrong sort of way and encourage bad behavior in in your own life. Consider what is having a voice and an influence and how you view the world. They also put the blood on the tip of their thumb to talk about their hands, what they do, their whole bodies. Because, friends, God is the one who owns your body. And I want to say a word, particularly to the young folks, but I think it goes beyond young people here. God owns your body. That's why he encourages you to sexual purity. Hear me out, friends, because you, all of us, I think, are, are looking for God's will for our life. And here's what we find out God's will for our life is. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 three. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Friends, God's will for your life is that you remain pure in your life, that you not go just because the world says it's okay and do what you want. People will say, but but I'm able to do what I want with my own body, but the scripture says, remember, it's not yours. It's his. First and foremost, you were created as a priest to image the glory of God. The Bible says you were bought with a price. Jesus shed his blood to purchase you and to devote him to and to devote you to himself. Remember, it isn't the culture that defines what's right and wrong. It's the creator that tells us what's right and wrong to do with our own bodies. It's God who tells us what's right and wrong to do when it comes to the area of sex. And it's in the right place for that is in the context of marriage. A lifelong commitment between one man and one woman. Anything outside of that, the Bible not only says is sin, it's against God's design, and the, and the Bible says it's going to lead to your hurt, to your pain, and to your suffering. The Bible actually goes on to say that sexual sin is the only sin that you'll commit that's against your own body. You're actually hurting yourself in the midst of it, whether you realize it or not, because the world's going to tell you that pornography and free sexual expression will bring you freedom, but the truth is that it leads to lifelong slavery. I can tell you all sorts of folks who started down that path and thought, well, if I just get married, that'll fix it. And then after a wrecked marriage later, they realized there were problems in their heart long before it ever started. The most important principle for us to recognize is that our body is not ours first and foremost, it's God's first and foremost. And that should change everything about how we think about marriage, gender, sexuality, even food, exercise, so many things. God owns your body, and he owns everything. And so we must ask ourselves, are we using our bodies in a way that glorifies God? From our head, to our hands, to our feet. He'd ask us to consider where are we walking, and what are we living for? Because as priests, there is no longer sacred and secular. There is only holy work for God's holy people. There's no longer meant to be, well, I live this way and believe this way on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, I do whatever I want. God would say, no, all of it's mine. And he desires for every area of our life and every moment of our life to be devoted to him that we live holy lives in sanctification and purity. Because ultimately, here's, here's what I want us to see. Living for God means that we will not live for ourselves. That's actually the last point I want us to see, that we have been devoted for selflessness. Not selfishness, selflessness. Because when you're devoted to God, you often think you will think about yourself less. You know, humility, the common saying is humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And here's what Exodus 29 teaches us. Look at verse 29. The holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him. They shall be anointed in them and ordained in them. Verse 30, the son who succeeds them as priest, who comes into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place shall wear them seven days think about all the priest has to do they got to sacrifice these animals they got to bake bread they got to take a bath and all of this before they even really get into the t- into the tabernacle or get to work Then, as we saw last week, the priest gets dressed and he gets to work and he's got these 12 stones on his shoulder and on his chest, symbolizing he's got the nation on his shoulder and on his heart as he does his work. His whole job as a priest is radically other-centered. We're even told that he's to wear his clothes for seven days. Imagine if you had to wear your work uniform every single day. What does that remind you? That says, hey, I'm working a lot. And this is because the priests worked every day. They lived every moment devoted to God. Look at verse 38. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil and a fourth of hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer it with a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord it shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. Through all the details, there's a lot of different sacrifices there. The point is this, they offered something every morning and every evening, beginning of the day, end of the day, every single day. Consider the responsibility, the load, the work, and they do it All for others. Their calling was radically others centered. And as followers of Christ, as priests of the new covenant, God has called you to live an an others-centered life. To live not for yourselves, but for the glory of God and for the good of others. You know, there's times people will come and they'll say things like, Well, you know, I'm not really sure I liked worship today. And here's what my heart, I usually go, well, I'm sorry to hear that, but my heart says, well, you know, we weren't worshiping you to begin with. This isn't about any of us. This isn't about our tastes or our likes or our preferences. This is about God. And if you want significance, if you want purpose, Friends, don't start within yourself. The culture would want to sell you on something called expressive individualism. You've heard this. Just dig inside yourself, find who you are, and express that to the world. It's literally the plot of every Disney movie. And friends, the problem is, one, your heart is not often the best guide for a good decision-making. As you get a little older, you begin to realize that. But friends... The problem is also that that begins and ends with you. If you begin looking for purpose inside yourself, it's going to require you to have a perfect knowledge of yourself. I don't know about you, but there's days I don't really know what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, how I'm doing. The problem is also trying to find purpose within yourself when you were never meant to give purpose to yourself. Rather, instead of living as what you perceive yourself to be, God would call you to live and what he has created you to be. Purpose always must come heaven down and not earth up. Don't look to the latest cultural trends. Can I tell you something? Just because other people are doing it and they look happy doesn't mean they're actually happy and that you should do it. You're going to get on one of these and you're going to scroll. And everybody looks happy on Instagram and TikTok doing their stuff, but let me tell you, social media is lying to you, because you're always comparing their greatest hits to your behind the scenes, and friends, it's not good to find your purpose and calling into significance in what everyone else is doing. Rather, we must find it in what we were made for and what we were saved for. To pour out our life for God and for others, that is where significance is found. To live for the one who made you and who died for you. Are you living for yourself? God would call you to get out of yourself and to get to work for him and for the good of others. Friends, the intersection of what God would want you to do is where your passion, your skills, and God's word meet. Friends, it's where what God has given you to do that you're good at, that you love to do, and what he's already called you to do all meet together. It's at the intersection of your gifting and God's glory. And in dwelling there, you will live out the vision that God has for your life. Let me ask you to consider one last passage. Look with me over at Philippians chapter 2 because none of us are going to live as perfect priests but there's one who did. And Philippians chapter two, verse five says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, he says, look to Jesus and model his attitude. And then let's look at what that attitude is. Verse six, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he'd emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no more significant person than Jesus. Fully God and fully man came to live a fully devoted life on your behalf and it's important to note it wasn't an easy life. Living a life devoted to God will often mean not having certain comforts that we might assume. He was born as a man. He lived as a lowly servant. His whole life culminated in a brutal death on a cross. Most of us would see that and not think of that as a significant life. But on the cross he was bearing our sins on the tree. And it was out of this And because of this, his perfect obedience, he rose again from the dead and was bestowed a name greater than any other name. You want to talk about significance. Friends, the path of the crown is often first through the path of the cross. The path of suffering is often the path that leads to glory. And in order to live a fully devoted life, you got to start by placing your trust in the fully devoted one. In order to walk the way God would have you to walk, you got to start by looking to Jesus and by continually aligning your mind and your attitudes with him, imitating him. Because no matter how much the priests set themselves aside, no matter how much the priests served in lowly submission, there was one, there was no one more others centered than Jesus, giving his life for you and for me. Look to Jesus and find life. Look to Jesus and find what you were created for. Look to Jesus and his word and be devoted again to God and to be a priest, and to walk in your priesthood purpose that he made for you. The invitation today is to look to Jesus and get to work. And so today, if you need to commit your life to Jesus, you can do that now. Maybe you've got to realign some things. You can pray where you are. You can come forward and talk to me. You can pray at the steps, however you need to respond. But God would have you not leave today without a life fully consecrated to him. God wants more than a Sunday morning faith. He wants your life. He wants your all. And may we give to him what he deserves. Let's stand and let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we prepare to respond today, we recognize that you lived the perfect life that none of us lived. You live fully devoted to your Father even to the point of suffering and death. And Lord, you call us to imitate that attitude and that's hard. We cannot do that in our own power. So we ask that your Spirit would help us would first draw us to you if we don't have true, abiding faith in you, but also that your spirit would empower us to imitate you and your humility in all things. The Lord, you'd help us through sacrifice to realize you have saved us for more than to fill a seat on Sunday, but to fill the world with your glory. Lord, help us to realize that you've set us apart for holiness, to live not according to just all of these various rules, but to live to honor you because it all belongs to you. And Lord, help us to realize you've saved us in order that we might live selfless lives in service to you and service to others. And God, be honored and glorified as we respond, however you would have us respond. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.
1: All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him. Oh so forsaken take me Jesus take me I surrender all, I surrender all.
0: that we sing, that's an invitation from God into your life, to give him all. And you may not feel you have a lot to give, but we've got a God who's known to take a few loaves of bread and multiply them beyond what we can ask or imagine. You have been set apart, devoted to be priests, even as you leave today. So how will we live our lives fully surrendered and devoted to him? We close with this benediction from the book of Revelation. God's word says, To him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.